let's pray and let's dig into the text. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, no one's here by chance, all by divine appointment. The word of God is always right on time. And so we ask that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase. Lord, that you would be glorified. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Hey, before I forget, the school's having something here this Thursday. So our midweek that's usually on Thursday will be on Wednesday. I'm sure that was already announced, but I want to remind you of that. Okay. So real quickly, 1 John is written by the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was one of the sons of thunder, James and John. He was one of the inner circle with Jesus when he was on the planet. Uh, he was the one that was up on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus went away to pray. He was the one when Jesus was dying on the cross that, he, that all the other apostles had abandoned him. They'd all run and hid and John was still there and he was the one that, that the Lord said, you know, take care of my earthly mother, Mary. So John obviously had an amazing relationship with the Lord. When we come around to this part of the Bible, more than likely all the other apostles are gone. They're all, they've all died. John's the last one. We know he's the last one left. We're going to see that he wrote the book of Revelation that's coming soon. So the church is about 40 years old or so, and the early church is already losing its way. And there was a group called the Gnostics. If you've been coming, you've heard this. Gnostic means knowledge. They thought they had a special knowledge from God and that they had a new revelation from God and that you had to come to them to understand the real truth. And one of the truths they taught, one of the false truths they taught, was that if you give your life to the Lord, you can live however you want because once your spirit is saved, your flesh is a totally separate part of who you are. So you could give your life to the Lord and just live like the devil and you would still go to heaven. They also taught, there was a portion of them that taught that you could achieve sinless perfection on the other extreme. That you could come to a place where you just stop sinning. Anybody not sinned this week? <laughs> Thought life everything? I didn't think so. And if your hand's up, you're prideful and you're sinning right now. But the reality is, the reality is that as he is writing this letter, you can imagine how the spirit within John must have been really stirred up when he heard people teaching false things about his Savior. And so this letter is in response to that. And we've seen so far, 1 John's been pretty heavy, Amen. And it's, there's no, I mean, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, but in 1 John, boy, he cuts straight to it. And so he's been talking about the exhortation to live holy and set apart lives. He's emphasized the love of God and the grace of God and, and righteous living. And if you have your outline, grab it. We're going to pick up in verse 10 and let's go through the outline quickly and we'll dig into the word. Living a life of Christian love in a lost world. How many of you feel like that's hard sometimes? And the world we're living in right now, amen? We're living in a time when it's not so easy to be loving, kind, and gracious, but we must remember we don't want to win arguments. We want to win people because the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people, amen? And we can win arguments and push people away from the Lord, and we don't want to do that. We need to have agape in an eros world. We'll talk about that. So number one, a reflection of whose children we are. The way that we love is a reflection of who we belong to. And the Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another. And it's, 
virtually impossible to say that you're a Christian and to be unloving because we know in, in Galatians 5.22, it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, what's the word? Love. And everything else after that describes love. And we know the word for love there is agape. It is a selfless love that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. Now, again, John's not messing around. We're either children of God or children of the devil. Who's your daddy? I almost, I almost titled that the message that this morning. <laughs> Who's your daddy, right? Are you a child of the devil? Or are you a child of God? And there is nothing in between, amen? So we'll see that children of God, we are children of one or the other, and children of God live holy and love deeply. We don't live sinless perfection. We're not sinless, but we should sin less, amen? And the way we view sin has been radically changed. And if you love God, the world will hate you. We'll see that. And then point number two, proof that we've been born again, that we've passed from death into life, that we have complete assurance. How, what is it? It's Christian love. See, Christian love shows who we belong to. And that agape love also shows us, it's proof that we've been born again. A question I hear a lot, I've been a pastor for 34 years, and probably the question I hear the most is when people, two things, what is my calling on my life, and how can I know for sure that I'm going to heaven? And you know what? I understand why people would want to know for sure, because that's the only question that matters in eternity, amen? Where we're going to spend eternity is far more important than anything else we contemplate. Bible also will see they, they shall know us by the love we have one for another and the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. But we'll finally, we'll see that love is more than an emotion. I think the word love is so destroyed in the English language because it's just, it can just be an emotion. But love is a choice and love requires an action. Love is more than saying I love you. It's showing you that I love you. It's showing you based on my behavior. Love gives, love serves. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friend. And so we see that example, and we'll see that in this morning's text. It's not just an emotion, it's an action. And again, it isn't just felt inwardly, but it's demonstrated outwardly. Agape is loving someone outside of yourself more than yourself. Here's the problem with the world today, and it all began with Satan. Here's the main problem. You ready? Selfishness. It's all about me. It's what I want. I'll follow God the way I want to if there is a God and no one's going to tell me what to do. And I think more about myself than anyone else. And when, when you see in Isaiah where it's talking about Satan, he says, I will be like the most high. I will be upon the throne. I, I, I. It's not surprising that just a few years ago, the word of the year was selfie because we are selfish and nobody really cares to look at pictures of you that many times. Amen. <laughs> But we think everyone wants to see 500 pictures of us a day, what we had for breakfast, how we combed our hair. Nobody cares. But you know what? We got to get past being focused on self and being focused on him. The Bible says to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And we can get so caught up in chasing after that which is temporal. Will you stop demanding your rights and seek seek instead to meet someone else's needs. So let's begin there, looking at living a life of Christian love in a lost world, agape in an eros world. We'll talk about the definition of those words. Most of you have heard them many times before if you've been attending here, but I want to make sure we all understand. So let's begin there in verse 10. And then he says, in this, the children of God and the children of devil of the devil are manifested 
Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So what does it say there are the two things that reflect whose children we are? Well, first of all, it's the, the, again, whoever does not practice righteousness and whoever does not love his brother. So if you're an angry, bitter, hateful person, that is not a reflection of someone who's been born again. Amen? And at the same time, too, if you live a life of total sinful behavior that does nothing but feed your flesh, is also a sign that you don't know the Lord. Now, again, we're all sinners, and we're sinners saved by grace, and we can feel overly condemned if, if we, we sin during the week. And, but here's the whole point of that is that as a born-again believer, the way you view sin changes. When you sin, you are grieved. You don't revel in it. You don't enjoy it. You certainly don't celebrate it. Your heart is broken by it. Can I get an amen to that? So when you sin, you're like, oh, Lord, forgive me. And again, if there's no conviction, there's been no conversion. And the exhortation here is that we are either a son or a child of God or a child of the devil. Jesus addresses this with the Pharisees. When does Jesus get angry in scripture? Who does he get mad at? Who is it? The self-righteous Pharisees who thought they were sinless and perfect and looked down upon everybody else. Well, it says in John chapter eight, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said of him, we're not born of the fornication. They answered Jesus back, accusing him of being born out of wedlock, right? Because his, mo his, his mom, Mary, was a virgin, right? I think I've told you guys this story. Forgive the language. I went on a sales call years ago, and the guy saw my Christian dove on the back of my car and some other Christian stuff in the back of my car, and he happened to be a Jewish man. And, you know, by the way, we love the Jewish people. This is a Jewish book written about a Jewish Savior. Can I get an amen to that? Okay, but he saw me coming, and he goes, oh, you're a Christian. I said, yeah. He goes, so you know that Jesus is a bastard and his mother's a whore, don't you? Oh, so this is the conversation we're having today. <laughs> but see, he's the same as the Pharisees were. See, the Pharisees are saying right here, we weren't born out of fornication. We weren't born without a married couple. Are you talking to us about whose sons we are? This is what, how they spoke to Jesus. And they said, we have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have proceeded forth and come from God. For I have come to of myself, but not of myself, but he has sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Now, how do you think the black wearing robe and standing in the middle of the town praying out loud and having, and, you know, tithing mint and coming and keeping all the laws to have Jesus tell them that they are sons of the devil? And he says, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. See, Jesus is the truth and Satan is the father of lies. And he will lie to you. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy our country. Amen? That's what the enemy wants to do. And we're called to stand for the truth. Whose children you are 
will be known by who you follow and who you imitate. I mentioned this a few weeks back. There's a guy up in Santa Cruz that watches us on live stream. And he'll text me from time to time. He goes, Dave, it's scary how much your, like, your mannerisms are like your dad. You know, my dad was a pastor for 60 years. He's been in heaven for five years. And he said, you know, the mannerisms, the way you, your hands and the way you say amen. I mean, that's all your dad. And the reality is we're going to follow somebody's example. Whose example are you following? Are you a child of God or are you a child of the devil? So tragic. And notice the word there in Greek, it said the word there manifests means to make known. Again, all children are either, either of God or of the devil and born sinful, separated, driven by our fleshly desires. We are all sinners, amen. We're all born with an Adamic nature. I know we all think our children are perfect until you've had them a week or two and you realize they're not. But the reality is that Children are born with an Adamic nature. We don't have to teach our kids to sin. We don't have to teach them to be selfish. We don't have to teach them to hit their, their, their uh, you know, siblings. They just do it. But you know what has to happen is that we, we need to become new creations in Christ. Amen? We're born self-centered, self-focused, enemies of God. But when we're born again, we become new creations in Christ. We're dead to the person we used to be. You know, the picture of the baptism dead to self, alive in Christ, dead to the person we used to be, now new creations in Christ. And we are children of God. When you're born again, you're filled with the spirit. Again, you're dead to the flesh. We put it to death daily. Inward transformation is made manifest in our outward behavior. The what are the specific manifestations of a child of God? What does it say? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And a bit, now, again, this is, we talked about this the last couple of weeks, and people are scared to death. And one of the verses that people call me about the most is 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. And they read that, and they're like, uh, I'm in trouble. Whoever abides in me does not sin. Whoever sins neither has me or has seen me or known me. Uh-oh. We all raise our hands that we are sinners. Now, it's important that we understand the word sin there. It is a habitual, ongoing way of life that we live without conviction, without a desire to repent. So you cannot say that you know God and live in open rebellion against God and say you have no conviction for your sin. Guys, it's not enough to come to church on Sunday. If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count, amen? And when you give your life to the Lord, your priorities will change, your passions will change. Now look, we're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace, amen? It's the grace of God. And because of the grace of God, but it should change us. And again, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Sin is lawlessness. He who walks in habitual sin is of the devil. A convictionless, unholy lifestyle that instead of being broken by sin, walks habitually in it, sees nothing wrong with it, and makes excuses for it. And now we live in a country and in a world that wants us to not only condone our own sin, but condone somebody else's sin. And if we don't condone their sin, then we're bigots. Amen? Just throw the word phobic behind any sin and you can attack people with it. I, I'm waiting to hear adulteryophobic. Haven't heard it yet. <laughs> Pedophilophobic's probably coming. But all this stuff that what point I'm making is that people, you know, we cannot give our lives to the Lord and then not feel different about our sin. We're gonna hate it. It's going to grieve us. 
We're going to want nothing to do with it. Unholy, unbroken, non-confessing lifestyle is a reflection of people who are children of the devil, and they want you to condone it. Why do people want us to condone their sinful behavior? Because deep down, they know it's wrong, and they want to feel better about it. And the worst thing we can do is make them feel better about it. Please don't make me feel better about my sin. And I promise I will make you feel better about yours. (laughs) Amen? We don't want to do that. So how do you know whose father you are? How do we know which family someone belongs to? The first example, the first form of outward evidence of inward change is how we view and respond to the word of God and its clear commands. The Bible is not a no fun bummer book to keep you from fun. He's not a, you know, it's a, it's a gift from God to keep us from harm. It's a love letter from the creator of the universe because he knows what's best for us and he loves us. How you review the word of God and its clear commands is a reflection of who you belong to. Satan hates the Bible because he hates the Lord and the Lord is the word. And if you're born again, you will love the Bible. Now look, you may early on have a hard time understanding it, but as you grow in it, you just can't get enough of it. Amen? Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. And so guys, if you want to grow in faith, you need to spend more time in God's word. There's no other way around it. His heart is grieved when he sins. A true child of God has reverence for God's word. The Holy Spirit's conviction to walk in obedience, his standard for living is obedience to the Lord and Savior and to his word. When when you sin, you can do one of three things. You can make excuses, accuse others, or repent. And often everybody wants to point at somebody else. It's not my fault. It's the woman thou gavest me, right, Adam? Always pointing at somebody else. I, I, this was 20 years ago, so I can tell on myself, but I used to commute from Lancaster to downtown LA. This is back in actually more 30 years ago, back in the late 80s. And I had a car that was too fast. And the 14 freeway, not a lot of traffic sometimes. And I was driving way faster than I should have been, and I got pulled over. And when I got pulled over, I was in my 20s, and I said something to the, well, just going the same speed as everybody else. That's accusing others, right? And I'm kind of running late for work. That's making excuses. And what was amazing is I had a Christian fish on the back of my car. And I had a Bible in my front seat. I was a youth pastor at the time. And the guy leaned in. He goes, doesn't it say something in Romans 13 about supplying to the authority that God's placed over you? (laughs) Then you're like, I deserve the ticket. Forgive me, officer. You're right. Can I, amen? amen? But I, like all of us, we can make excuses and accuse others. That's, but what we need to do is repent. And the word repent means to turn away from it. Quit making excuses for your sin. Quit pointing at somebody else as the reason why you're sinning. We all stand before Almighty God. And you know what? Again, if you continue in sin, the one that's going to be harmed is you and the ones that love you. He is a Holy Spirit who takes up residence within us the moment that we are born again. He will not sit idly by while we sin. So when I'm speeding down the freeway, the Holy Spirit is in the car with me. Amen? And when you choose to do any sinful act, you're taking the Holy Spirit with you. And he will not sit idly by and not give you the Holy Spirit head slap in Jesus' name. Amen? He will bring conviction because he loves you and he wants to draw you back into himself. 
He will not sit idly by. He will convict us. He will drive us to repentance, to live a holy and set-apart life, to live righteously. But those who are not saved do not have that Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit within them. No thoughts of their sinful behavior, ungodly lifestyle. Sin is not something that grieves or grips them. It is a way of life. This is the life I live. They mock God. They shake their fists at God and say, I'm going to, you know, as Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. Well, I'm going to do it God's way. How about that? Amen. Their lives are marked not by righteous living, but by rebellion. As they are children of the rebellious one, where there is no change, there's been no salvation. They've been given over to sin, and it's evidence that there has been no real transforming work of the Holy Spirit. A child of God obeys the word of God. It doesn't mean we don't fail. It doesn't mean we don't sin, but it's the desire that has been written on our heart by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And a child of the devil has no thought or concern for God and his word, lives a life of sinful rebellion. His father brings no, re no conviction for his sin, but entices him to sin more. Satan loves it when you sin. Loves it. Satan loves it when you lie, because he's the father of lies. When we follow the Lord, we walk in the truth. But note, a child of God not only practices righteousness and lives holy, but he loves his brother. He is completely loving. He lives holy, and he loves completely. He says, nor does he who does not love his brother, a true child of God, lives holy, loves completely, and it's been said real love is the greatest righteousness, and real righteousness is the greatest love. Let me say that again. It's been said that real love is the greatest righteousness, and real righteousness is the greatest love. It's not truth or love, but truth in love. Amen? Do you know when somebody loves you by the way they treat you? What's the answer? You absolutely do. And the world should see the love of Christ in us. And too often what happens, and I'm going to be teaching this at the pastor's conference this week on exhorting pastors not to be disqualified or to be distracted. And what the enemy wants to do, if he can't disqualify you from ministry, he wants to distract you from what you're called to do. And a lot of churches today are very distracted because they're more about politics than they are about Jesus. Yeah. About eight people said amen and about 80 people said I'm going somewhere else next Sunday. But here's the reality. Look, should we vote? What's the answer? Yes. Should we vote biblically? Yes. Well, should we stand up for the truth? Yes. Is that anywhere near as important as the gospel? No. We want to win people. Amen? And we can get caught up. I have a pastor friend of mine that teaches on end times every week. And I'm like, bro, I'm all for the end times. I get it. But the Bible says, Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian, amen? We don't want to water it down. We don't want to just teach part of it. Let's not be distracted and chase after. COVID, don't be distracted, amen? Don't get so caught up in something that's going on in the world that it takes your eyes off of what matters. Knowing him and making him known. Loving God and loving people. That's what we should be known for, Amen? If I went out and checked your cars, I hope there's more Christian fish than Trump flags in your car right now. Just saying. 15 more people just left the church. <laughs> truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That's why we need to speak the truth in love. Amen? 
People can speak the truth and scream it at you at the top of their lungs through a blow horn and it's not gonna do much good. And we can also just love on people, but if we don't tell them the truth, it's hypocritical. Amen? One of the things that we hear a lot right now is, oh, we're an open and affirming and loving church. Well, it's not loving to openly affirm sin. Amen? To openly condone it, to say it's a good idea, to say that we agree with it. I hope that you all, you know, you've heard me say it, Christians don't stab each other in the back, we stab each other in the front. Amen? If you see me living up, if I'm acting contrary, love me enough to say, Pastor Dave, that's, that's not a very Christ-like way you're acting right now. Again, proclaiming to love while rejecting the one who came out of love for us. A child of God will live holy, convicted when he sins. He'll love completely, selfless agape, selfless, agape love that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Agape love is a possible, impossible apart from the God of love. This is why you're not to be equally yoked together with unbelievers, something that Alea already understands. <laughs> get away. Can I get an amen? But the point is that if you know the Lord, you can have agape love. If you don't know the Lord, you cannot have agape love. So if you marry somebody who has a selfless, esteeming someone outside of yourself, love that comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, and you yoke yourself to somebody who cannot and does not have that because they do not know the Lord, then you're going to be unequally yoked and it's going to cause heartache and trouble. Amen? Jesus Christ, who perfectly displayed both holy living and godly loving, and he's the one we follow. By the way, we should not be ashamed to be called Christians, amen? Well, I don't like the term Christian because there's too many hypocrites. Well, just join the rest of us. Can I get an amen to that? The reality is that he hung on a cross for us. He was unashamed of us. And you know what? We should be unashamed of him. We should be unashamed of his name. We should speak it with boldness. Amen? Amen. Verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, loving one another and loving sinful behavior are two separate things. Amen? Because I will hear this often. Well, Jesus ate with the wine bibbers and he ministered to prostitutes. Yes, he ministered to them, but he didn't participate in their sin. Amen? And so the exhortation here is the message of love, again, while it was not new to them, nor should it be new to us, it, loving people does not mean condoning their behavior. It means loving them enough to tell them the truth. Jesus said this in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, what's amazing about that is he's telling us to love other people the way he loves us. Is that a high bar or what? It just doesn't get any higher. And it's easy for us to love people that love us back. It's easy to love people that agree with us. But you know what? The Lord wants you to love the boss at work that's kind of a pain. He wants you to love that next door neighbor. He wants you to love the person that's cussing you out on Facebook. Amen? The Lord wants us to love God and love people and be a Christ-like example. Again, agape is selfless, a love that esteems others greater than itself. And this love is described in 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into, does not 
take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. But if these are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. Now, how do we know how we're doing on this list? Put your name where it says love. Dave is patient. Dave is kind. Dave is not jealous. Dave does not brag. Is not arrogant. Dave does not act. When you read through that and you put your name in there, that should be a description of us. And we all fall short. Amen? But pray that the Lord will continue to grow us in that supernatural love that can only come by the empowering work of his Holy Spirit. See, this love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's evidence of true salvation, that you are indeed a child of God. Without this love, anything we do is worthless. First Corinthians, it also says, if you speak with tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, no matter what you do, if you don't do it in love, it's of no value. And again, they shall know us by... Now, see, there's an interpretation, again, of many false churches today that they love people because they just affirm... Now, look, everyone's welcome. And nobody... And by the way, if you ever make anybody feel unwelcome here, you'll be unwelcome here. Amen? We want to love people unconditionally. Everyone's welcome. I don't care what they're passing, what they're going through. That being said, everyone's welcome, but we don't affirm everybody's sin, including not mine. Amen? Amen. So it's not loving to, again, stand for that, which is contrary to the word of God. It's not love that is manifested in our own strength, but by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You know why you can't do better? Because you can't do better. That's why you can't do better and you'll never do better. You know what you need? Less of you and more of the Holy Spirit. See, we got to die to self, be less of the flesh. Jesus said of men born among women, there was none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. So if the greatest man who ever lived outside of Jesus Christ had to have less of him and more of the spirit, so do every single one of us. You know when you're in your flesh. Is there an amen to that? You, man, does that flat, you can feel it coming, can't you? It's just rising up. It's ready to come out. That flesh, and you, in the Bible, we got to put the flesh to death. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. And the flesh wants you to operate contrary to the spirit. Agape love, not a new commandment. It's mark of one who's been saved. And the depth of love grows as we mature in our faith. You spend time with those who've walked with the Lord a long time, who are spiritually mature, they tend to be a lot less critical and a lot more loving. Amen? Don't you love hanging around with people that are spiritually mature and it's rare that you see them get angry. It's rare that, why? Because the closer we get to the Lord, the more we become like him. Show great patience with the body of Christ. They're not easily offended. They speak the truth and they do it in love. Verse 12, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. One of the things that happens is if you're living for the Lord and the Spirit of God is in you, believe it or not, there will be people that hate you for it. They hated Jesus for it. They're going to hate you if you follow his example. Amen? John's talking about loving one another and loving your brother. And the contrast between the child of God and the child of Satan is he does what he does back 
to the world's first, again, goes back to that example, the world's first brothers. It's back in Genesis 4, and it says there came of the wicked one, a child of Satan. How do you know? By examining his actions. Do you remember what Cain did? What did Cain Cain and Abel, what was a disagreement that caused Cain to kill his brother? What was it? The sacrifice. Cain was a farmer and Abel was a rancher. And Cain brought fruits and vegetables to sacrifice to the Lord, the fruits of his labor, and Abel brought an animal to slay. And we know that the Bible is clear that the sacrifices, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. Amen? And so Cain's offering was unacceptable, and Abel's was acceptable. And he saw that God was blessing him and responding to him, so he got angry, and he killed his own brother. Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God's and Cain's was not. And again, not what he gave, but the heart with which it was given. It says in Hebrews 11, tells us that Abel's sacrifice was accepted because he had faith and he was trusting God while Cain wasn't. You know, God in his grace, there are grain offerings and God could have accepted that, but it was the heart behind it along with what was given. Cain appears to be jealous over his brother's offering being better than his own, and that's not love. See, you know what selfless love is? Selfless love is when you are more excited for someone else when they're blessed than, than, than when you're blessed. Amen? Amen? Who's excited for Chris and Carolyn? I cannot wait to meet Irene. How about you? Amen? We're excited. We love you guys. But here's the reality. That we, we're excited for them. We're not jealous of them. We're not envious of them. We're excited for them. And guys, that's, that's agape, isn't it? Agape is when you hear that somebody else, hey, you met this wonderful person. You think this might be the person. You're excited for them. When you find out that somebody, uh, God's using them in a powerful way, you get excited for them. Instead of being envious that God's using somebody else, we should be blessed that God's using somebody else. And we should be praising God for it. Cain wasn't rejoicing in righteousness and his brother's sacrifice being accepted, but instead was provoked to anger. Again, Cain and Abel were raised in the same godly home, same godly parents. And it's hard for parents when we have kids, some that are on fire for God and some maybe are not. And sometimes we want to take the blame for it and we need to be faithful to raise a child in the way that they should go. But ultimately, we cannot live their lives for them because if we did, we would need a belt. Amen? <laughs> we would need the board of education. The reality is it would be great if our kid, but the reality is that they have their own free will. Just like my parents couldn't make me live the way they wanted me to live, it was up to me to surrender my life to the Lord. Instead of ex- exhibiting godly, selfless love and obedient faith, Cain was faithless and prideful, and his pride led to his disobedience, anger, and hatred, and finally murder. And then when God confronted him about his sin, where is your brother Abel? He responds, not in brokenness, but am I my brother's keeper? I want you to remember that the next time someone asks you something, you give them back, to, am I my brother's keeper? Just remember that the Lord was questioning Cain over murder when he responded that way. Anger doesn't get you anywhere but in trouble. I went out and got angry and made a bunch of great decisions, said no one ever, amen? <laughs> the Bible says that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Amen? So when you get angry, the, probably the best thing to do is take it to Shuddy Town, go get on your knees and repent. Amen? 
Anger, pride, disobedience, hatred, murder are attributes of Satan and his children, and these are not attributes of God. It says this in Romans, 9, in Romans 12, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall uh, heap hot coals of fire on his head. But do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. A soft answer turns away wrath. You want to bring the temperature down in an argument? Answer in a soft and a kind way. Amen. Amen? Remember that when you get home and you're mad about lunch or something. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. When you stand for the Lord, people who stand against the Lord will not want anything to do with you. People used to say when they would get saved, they're like, I just don't know how to pick my friends. Here's what I, I was a youth pastor for 15 years and it applies to adults. I said, if you've given your life to the Lord, all you need to do is live sold out for God and your friends will choose you. They'll either leave because they want nothing to do with you or they'll get saved and want to hang out with you. Amen. So if you live out loud for the Lord, you will attract godly friends and you'll have some that want nothing to do with you. As believers, we bring the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. Serve as a halogen light that shines brightly into the darkness of the sin of people around us and our own sin in our own lives. And by the way, if you take a halogen light into a bar at 2 a.m., are people happy about that? Same is true when it comes to making a stand for the Lord. Abel's obedience shined in the light of conviction of Cain's faithless disobedience. And rather than repent, he sought to silence his brother. It's the same reason that we live in a world today that wants to remove the Bible from everything. Taking Bible out of the public square. They don't want, uh, you know, nativity scenes. While trying to force us to accept things like abortion and fornication and homosexuality and adultery and worship of false gods and pride and greed and self-centeredness as acceptable behavior while trying to remove the Lord from being a source of conviction to a lost and a dying world. And it says in verse 13, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. So see, in light of the fact that if you stand for the Lord, just like Cain hated Abel because Abel was acting faithfully and obedient to the Lord, so too. Now again, don't be a self-righteous jerk. Don't be self in any way. We're all just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? And sometimes people don't like you just because you're a jerk and it has nothing to do with you being righteous. Amen? But as you live for the Lord, unashamedly, there will be people that don't want to hear it. A lost and rebellious world will hate you as you walk with the Lord and your actions shine again as a halogen light on their sin. And you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. It says in John 3, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and man loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes into the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The world hates the Lord and loves darkness. My first sales job, I sold restaurant equipment. This is in that early 80s, my wife and I first got married and some of the restaurants I would call on had bars and I would have an 8 a.m. sales meeting and there'd be 20 people in the bar slamming alcohol at 8 a.m. And it was dark in there. And I was amazed. I'm like, why is it always dark in there? 
why, why is, I said, if I walked in there with a halogen light, he goes, oh, they'd be swinging. You'd be in trouble. Again, when we're walking in darkness, the last thing we want is something that reminds us that we're in darkness. Amen? We don't want to be reminded of that. And that's why we want to silence anything anybody has to say about the truth, about who God is. As Christians, we're children of God. Come willingly to light to the light of God's word, and then our actions should show it to the world around us. So the child of God, the source of godly wisdom is the word of God. It directs us, it guides us to live a holy and set-apart life. For the children of Satan, it's a source of conviction and condemnation that must be silenced. We need to silence the word of God. You have atheist groups spend millions of dollars to get a cross removed from a hillside. Millions. And they'll say, I don't believe in God and I hate him. Now, which of those is true? Because if he doesn't exist, you don't need to hate him. Amen? <laughs> I've never been mad about the Easter bunny once. Doesn't exist. I don't worry about it. If there was a big bunny on the side of a hill, I wouldn't spend millions of dollars to get that bunny taken down. But the fact that the cross of Christ is the stone of offense and it drives people to a recognition that they are sinners in need of a Savior makes them want you to put it away. And we must not hide our light under a bushel ever. Amen? We must speak it with boldness. Point number two. Proof that we've been born again. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. See, love reflects the fact that we've been born again. And it's amazing the depths of love you can have for another person who's born again. Amen? I've told you this many times. I've been in line at an amusement park or in the grocery store and someone's got a Christian shirt on. We start talking about the Lord. By the time we get to the front of the line, we're exchanging phone numbers, we're Facebook friends, we're hugging each other and praying for each other. Because when you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. And that's what's such a blessing is that immediate agape love. We know what a lost and dying world does not know we know and have complete assurance. Again, Christianity is not a hope so, but a no so. And because of the down payment on heaven of the person of the Holy Spirit, we know that we know that we know that we know that when we close our eyes on earth, we're going to open them up in glory. Amen? Not because we're good, but because he is. We've passed from spiritual death into spiritual life. That's why we must not avoid fellowship. We need to be around other believers. Amen? We need to be around others that will encourage us and strengthen us. I pray that you use your gifts to minister to me and I might be able to use my gift to minister to you. That's the body of Christ and how it should operate. So how do we know? Because we love our brethren. We love the brethren. They shall know us by the love we have. A love for God's people is a mark of one who has been redeemed. By the way, we're going to spend eternity together. We might as well start getting along now. Amen? And if you've got anybody who's a Christian that you're avoiding and you want nothing to do it, and you've tried, some of you have made effort and they don't want to respond back, but we should not just be comfortable living in open separation from other believers. Amen? We should fix that. No love for the brethren, our salvation can be called into question. The world, uh, you know, life, death physically, but for the child of God, death, life spiritually. See, when the world dies, they go into eternal separation from God. And when we, when we leave this planet, we go into the life that we've all been created for. Amen? The eternal one. Amen? Place of death signified by hatred and pride and jealousy and bitterness, but life and love for other believers. Which one describes you? We shouldn't be happy when, when unbelievers fall or fail. We should pray that they would come to know the Lord. Amen? 
Do you love other Christians? Do you long for fellowship? I love Sundays and Thursdays and every other time when God's people meet. I love going to just watch the, the basketball games on Monday night with other Christian guys. Or, I'm not even playing, playing on the softball team. Just hanging out with Christians. I just love it because this is our family. Amen? And by the way, if you came here today, we just adopted you or part of this family. We don't have church membership. Amen? Verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Whoa, whoa. I love to do the Ten Commandments thing, especially when I get on a plane. You get a captive audience. I love to sit in the aisle, and then I got someone next to the window. And man, I love when it's like international, right? Where are you going, bro? We could, we could go through the whole Bible in the next 17 hours. But one of the things I love to do is ask them, you know, where they are with the Lord and then talk about the Ten Commandments often. And I'll say, look, I've got, here's $100. And if you can, if you haven't broken any one of the commandments, I'll give it to you. Can we go, go through them one at a time? And they'll usually do it. Where are they going? They got nothing else to do. And so they'll usually do it. And they'll, back in their mind, they'll think, oh, I know I've done all the other ones. But when he says murder, I've got him. Well, then you read this verse. If you've had hatred in your heart, you're a murderer. Anybody in here besides me ever hated anyone in your life? Look at all the murderers in the room. Amen? Matthew 5, you have heard it said, the time of old thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill will be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, that's stupid, by the way, shall be in danger of counsel. Whatever say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. We need to Think about how we talk about people, how we talk to people, how we feel about them, and how we treat them. Amen? And it's easy to get fired up with the, the landscape that's going on in our country right now. We're called to be different. Hatred is murder in our hearts, so we may not carry it out again because of cowardice or fear of punishment. We're wishing the person dead. Or, and again, hatred, again, to despise, to cut from a relationship, to murder is simply the fulfillment of that attitude. Then it says there, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Can someone who commits murder get saved? What's the answer? Ask King David. Amen? Had Uriah put to death. So we can have committed murder, but the difference is we need, there needs to be repentance that follows. See, a child of Satan, behavior that reflects their beliefs, the hatred of the brethren, so does this mean that anyone who's ever done it? Of course not. We know that it does mean that anyone who's ever committed murder, again, can be saved because, again, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Praise the Lord for that. Speaking more of an overall heart condition than a single sinful act. If you're a true child of God, your life should be characterized by love for others, not anger, not pride, not hatred. Last point, not just an emotion, but an action. Look at verse 16. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. So if we say that we are Christians, we recognize that Jesus laid down his life for us, so we should then be willing to lay down our life for others. Now, I think it might be easier to lay down your life for someone in the moment. I, I, I'm confident that if a shooter came running up the hill here to attack our church, there'd be a bunch of people that would run toward the shooter to save everybody else here. I'm fully convinced that would happen. Can't threaten me with heaven. I'd be at the front of the line. Yep, give me Jesus. You know, I'm good. I'm okay. Heaven's better, Amen. That being said, it's harder 
to lay down your life every day for somebody. Amen? It's easier to say, man, I would jump in front of a train to save my wife, and it's another thing to lay down my life for her every day. It's one thing to say that I would, I would risk my life to minister to somebody, and it's another thing to be inconvenienced for somebody. Remember that the next time you, you know, someone you once said, you know, there's an opportunity to serve somebody, and you're just, well, it's too inconvenient. I don't want to do that. Just remember that we need to lay down our lives. I'm glad that the Lord didn't think it was too inconvenient to go to the cross. Amen? We should be the same. By this we know the love because he laid down his life for us. Real love isn't just felt inwardly, it's demonstrated outwardly. It says in Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't say, I'll do stuff for somebody that I really like that's kind of perfect. You'll be doing nothing for anybody. It says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word there that... By this we know love. The word know is gnosko, to know by experience. By this we have come to know the true depths of his agape love, not by his expressed feelings, but through his demonstration of dying in our place. Again, eros is a selfless love that loves someone outside of itself more than itself. The world has eros, which is a love that uh, it's not love, it's lust. It's what can you do for me feeling, where agape is a what can I do for you. And one wants to serve and the other one wants to be served. You haven't known love until you've known his love. If you don't know the love of God, the agape love of God, you don't really truly know the greatest depths of love that can exist, the love that God created us to have. He showed us again his depths of of his love on the cross. Let's finish up. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? We're all guilty of this, amen? We're times when we have plenty and someone else doesn't have enough and we are more concerned about ourselves than ministering to somebody else. Now, there are conditions. We don't want to help and prop up sinful behavior, but we do want to make sure that we recognize everything we have belongs to the Lord. It's all his stuff. We're just caretakers of his stuff. You're living in his house, driving his car. That's his money in your bank account. That's his gifts that have been given to you. Those are his children that you're raising. Amen? And so we need to be good stewards of what belongs to the Lord. And again, his ultimate demonstration shouldn't be lost on us that true love often involves sacrifice. And again, real love is more than just a feeling. It's demonstrated in our actions. Your love is demonstrated not just in a kind word, but in action. We have people in our church that do stuff in a practical way to help other people in the church that nobody else knows about. And you know what? That's just an example of agape love laying down your life for someone else. Amen? And then finally he says, my little children, let us not love the word, the word, love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We need to not just say, hey, I love you, but show people that we love them in the way that we care for them. In our giving to others, ministering to their needs, food, clothing, shelter, not once. I had a guy call me at the church one time in Santa Cruz. Hey, bro, I got a $2,300 cell bill. Do you think the church can help me out with that? No. It's a cell phone, bro. You don't have to have one of those. Amen. But if somebody's hurting and needs to be fed, by the way, if, if, if you know of anybody in our fellowship that's struggling to feed their family, you let us know. We'll make sure that they're taken care of. Amen. Often they don't want to share it themselves. If you know, please let us know. 
We should be a source of God's provision to the one faithfully walking with God. And the Lord wants us to do that. And then again, they're my little children. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I tell people I love them all the time and I mean it. But if my expression of love never goes beyond my words, it's not genuine and it doesn't mean anything. Amen? Sometimes the greatest act of love is answering the phone at 2 a.m. when someone's hurting to minister to them. Sometimes it's something really that it makes you as inconvenient for you. And you know what? We can re we'll rest when we get to heaven. Amen? Our love for our spouses, our families, one another must go beyond words to selflessly loving, serving, and giving. So in closing, living a life of Christian love in a lost world. Number one, we are a reflection of whose children we are. If you're a child of God, you'll love selflessly. You'll love and esteem others greater than yourself. If you're a child of the enemy, you'll be selfish. You'll make it all about you. Your favorite three people will be me, myself, and I. It'll always be on your mind. It'll be all about you. Proof number two of living a life of Christian love, proof that we've been born again, and we see it in the way that we love other people. We have complete assurance because we have this love. This love reflects on the fact that we've been born again, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And then finally, it's not just an emotion, it's an action. Real lo love isn't just felt inwardly, it's demonstrated outwardly. Agape is loving someone outside of yourself more than yourself. Will you stop demanding your rights and seek to meet someone else's needs? Amen? Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. And Lord, we know that everything we've learned today is impossible in our own strength. Lord, we cannot do this apart from the empowering work of your Holy Spirit. So my prayer for myself and everyone else here is Lord, may there be less of us and more of you. May we set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth. May we love other people in the way that you love us. May we have agape, selfless loves that esteems others greater than ourselves, that doesn't give up, that doesn't pass away, that doesn't walk away, but continues to faithfully love and serve people for a lifetime. May we not fall into the trap of the worldly lust. It's all about me seeking people that will serve us. And Lord, we want to seek people that we can serve and do it in your name that you might be glorified. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for everyone who's here this morning. None by chance, all by divine appointment. And Lord, I pray if anybody's going through a difficult time, Lord, that they would turn back to you. If anybody's walked away from you, this would be a time of repentance and restoration. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm going to give you a chance right now just to make an oblique, uh, uh, public confession. Just say, I want to surrender my life to the Lord. I'm ready not just to make him Savior, but Lord of my life, to surrender my life fully to him. Anybody here that wants to give their life to the Lord today, Leave here with the assurance that you'll spend eternity in heaven. Anybody at all, don't leave here without them. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen.